Welcome to the show. My guest today is a very talented director and producer. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Jin Yu Kim. <sighs> Self applause. Self crouchered myself. So, Jin's uh, work in the last couple years has been really interesting to me. Uh, she's been in the documentary field uh, and she's been on projects that have taken her uh, to Korea to cover the League of Legends. World Championships. It's taken her to Hawaii to surf the big waves with Laird Hamilton, though she didn't actually surf in the water. But she worked on that project, that film. Uh, she also has done a retrospective on the 1992 LA Uprising, LA, LA Riots. Uh, and currently, she's on two documentaries, which have uh, not aired yet, but may, may be airing at the time of when this episode is released or shortly after. One is about the uh, current lawsuits p- put forth by the NFL cheerleaders against the NFL for wage inequality and sexual harassment. And a second uh, documentary project is revisiting Manzanar, which is a uh, famous Japanese concentration camp in California, which is also uh, the site of, uh, there's a Native American uh, heritage there and also um, part of the Los Angeles uh, water crisis, uh, historically um, and and presently. Uh, So those are all of Jin's uh, really great credentials. Uh, But this, for me, is a very bizarre and exciting episode because Jin is also my wife, (laughs) (laughs) full disclosure. Uh, This is a bit of an awkward conversation for us to have in front of microphones but also we never really have like conversations <laughs> what are you talking about no i mean like you know oh go to trader joe's and get some eggs i'm out of eggs go to right. oh we need to go to target oh can you get some more Lacroix? yeah that's true we haven't had like a really long interview like conversation like this probably since we were dating yeah because dating it's, basi- yeah. it's basically a series of interviews right? Uh, mixed in with romance, I suppose. What's and your five-year plan? <laughs> I don't think you... I never said that. No. That is a dating no-no. Yeah, I mean, we've been out of the dating game for a very long time, but I would highly recommend never asking someone what their five-year plan is. On... I feel like the rules are the same. <laughs> yeah, not much has really changed. I mean, yeah. you know, we've got, we've got younger nieces cousins whatever uh that are of the recently graduated college age and yeah i think a lot of those things hold true mm-hmm. with time like don't ask people what their five-year plan is uh, don't ask what their social security number is things like that <laughs> um so anyway so what 
so for me, what's going to be interesting about this episode is, as you may expect, uh, Jen and I are married, been married for a while, and I've pretty much heard, I think I've heard almost every story she has in her vault. Right. But for for this podcast, at my request, she is going to tell a story that I've actually never heard before, that she's never shared publicly, and never, and never shared with me. So this is going to be interesting. The the dynamic obviously may be odd. I don't know because we're married, so I may forget yeah. that. It's like I'm. You I'm, may forget you're married to me. <laughs> no, it's like I'm interviewing a very established documentarian filmmaker, right? But you're my wife. Like like all these like professional accolades, like I don't really see on a day to day. You know what I mean? Because like you go out at work. Like, and then you're home and then it's like, hey, are we going to go to Ikea tonight to buy a couch? Right. Um, So, so, so anyways, so. And I also want to do, I want to say something about this story. I I wouldn't say it's my best story because Dave's heard all of my stories, which is why I can't tell my, you know, amazing jail story because he's already heard it. And a lot of my friends have heard it. So it's not my most amazing story, which is why I probably didn't tell you because it's not really like groundbreaking. Yeah, but that's, this is the show. It's the best story you've never told. Right. right? I don't, yeah, that's true. I guess it's not, yeah, I don't know what stories I've never told that were really great, but I guess this is a story I've never told. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great pitch for anyone listening to this episode. <laughs> Here's a story that Jen's just never told publicly. It's not even her best or worst. It's just like a story. So that's a great, that's a great sell uh, for this episode. Probably get a lot of views now. Uh, anyways, no, no, we're going to explore the story. We'll find out why this hasn't been public and we'll just get into it. So why don't you... Just go ahead and start telling the story that her husband, me, has never heard before. Okay. I mean, you may have heard parts of this story, but so I was born in Bolivia and I have Korean parents. And so my whole life before coming to the States, before I even understood what America was, the United States was, was all like just through my school. And I was four years old, and my mom told me that we were going to go to a place called America. And it was kind of scary because before then, I haven't really traveled that far. Like, it was all within South America. Um, So when she said that we were going to America, I, first of all, did not know that it was going to be a permanent situation. I thought we were just visiting. I had no idea that we were packing our bags and leaving and coming to America. And I guess that's, maybe she did tell me, but I was like four, so why would I remember that? Um, one of the things she told me on the airplane coming to America was, you know, because I was crying and not really understanding why we were moving. Um, and one of the things that she told me, like, just to win me over with this American dream, she started describing toilet paper. <laughs> Okay. Because, okay, so in Bolivia, toilet paper was just like recycled and dyed toilet paper. So you either have green toilet paper or burgundy toilet paper. Like that was the toilet paper that we used 
when we were living there. Of course, now it's different. But back in the 80s, that's what everybody used. And I never really saw white toilet paper. So we were sitting in the airplane, and I remember distinctively like that my mom was um, telling me how the American toilet paper was white and that some of them had designs on them and that it was perforated. And for like a four-year-old, <laughs> when you hear that and your whole life you've been wiping your butt with green or burgundy toilet paper, you're like, that is nice, you know? Like, what is this land of white designed perforated toilet paper? <laughs> right. So suddenly I started seeing America differently. I thought, oh, it's like this, like heaven, like this land where there's rules and safety and automatic opening doors Actually, like one of the first thing, first memories I had coming to America was going to a big like Walmart type supermarket, and we weren't quite used to the automatic sliding doors. So we were just kind of playing around. We were so excited to see the doors open and shut automatically mm. that my brother somehow got stuck inside one. <laughs> like his arm got stuck inside the sliding door, so he was just plastered against this what? sliding glass door, and his arm was just stuck inside. And then the glass door just like opened and then his arm was in between the two glass lighting doors and i think that was the first moment when i thought like oh maybe it's not so great here like there's still danger there's still all these things and then you know a series of events happened this was in miami a series of events happened where i like stepped on a nail i saw like dead animals like in dumpsters um you know for some reason i still remember like an open open jar of mayonnaise just like laying in the lakeside where like someone just chucked like fresh mayonnaise on the ground and these are all weird memories but it makes sense because i came from a very struggling like third world country like you don't see like a new unopened jar of mayonnaise on the street like cut in half without any dogs there already or like other people trying to scoop it up like it was just there for weeks and it was just like slowly deteriorating. And I thought, wow, like people in America are so rich that they can just like throw away food if they don't want it. They could just chuck it out their window. Right. And like have it like break into a half jar and no one would even like pick it up. Um, so these are all just like disjointed memories I had when I first came to America. But by the time I came um, to LA, like I grew up in LA living with my grandmother and my brother my parents were still in Bolivia so we lived in this almost like um, interesting scenario where my grandmother was our caretaker we had $60 a week for groceries and whatever we needed like that was like our allowance for you know one grandma and two kids which at the time wasn't too bad you know I mean like the rent and stuff was covered so it was just like money to live right So at the time, it wasn't too bad, and my grandmother um, would do all the shopping for Korean food and make Korean food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I definitely had those moments where I brought, you know, handmade, you know, fried rice balls to school, and people would make fun of me, and I would just chuck it and not eat it. Um, And I still, when I look back at it now, like, my adult self cries at all the chucked lunches that my grandma made. But at the time, it was embarrassing. Um, one of the things I remember was that in that $60 allowance for a week, like it it did barely cover our meals, and my grandmother was really frugal. And um, so she would buy like basically like Korean greens 
all the time and some meat and she would uh, make sure that we had a little bit of meat in each meal but we never had like an entree of meat like so we never had like a steak dinner we never had like you know turkey for thanksgiving like our meals were just saying like every day it was like soup rice a tiny bit of like fermented or you know like um there's like this korean um beef like pickled beef called changjorim which is basically like soy sauce marinated beef and you just it's so salty that you can only eat a little bit with rice and so we barely ate any meat because it was expensive and i just remember always feeling like culturally very different from everyone else because of the food i was eating because i was never allowed to like buy cheetos or you know everyone else had like the doritos like variety pack in their lunch or lunchables or capri sun i knew i knew of all these brands because it was a stuff i couldn't eat mm-hmm. like while everyone at school was eating the delicious or you know not so good for you but processed american cheese grilled cheese sandwiches like i would have been lucky if i just had toast in my lunch because i was always just eating rice um so at the time we were living in westwood and that's in los angeles in los angeles very close to ucla and our neighbors were all ucla students um we lived in this tiny apartment um because we were going to the really great school in that area and i just remember i think i was around nine eight or nine i was still in elementary school and um, our neighbor, who was this like UCLA student who had an ellipti- uh, like a treadmill, yeah, treadmill in her apartment. She was like always dieting, and she. How did you How do you know that? How do I know she was always dieting? Or in a treadmill, you could hear it. Oh, okay. So like her apartment was like all windows. What? Yeah, it was weird. It was like there, like there's a door, and then like her door was more inset, and then like there's like a little hallway towards the door, but then on the outside was like all. Uh, floor-to-ceiling windows and then it was like the blinds that covered it oh so you could see in and yeah she would always have the blinds open and oh. she was always like running on the treadmill okay, okay got it got and it. she was really skinny so I just assumed that she was always dieting um and then like I heard her having a party and then she rang the bell and you know my brother and I were like yeah like seven and eight or eight and nine or whatever and she rang the bell and we opened the door and she gave us this like half-eaten key lime pie Okay. <laughs> and she was like, hi, um, I forgot her name, but she was like, hi, blah, blah, blah. I'm your neighbor. I just had a party and I have all these leftovers and I can't eat this all because I'm trying to watch my calories. Oh, okay. So hence, I knew she was always dieting, but she gave us this half eaten key lime pie. And I still remember like the meringue on top of it because I've never seen a key lime pie until she gave it to me. Oh, okay. Wow. And it was like the first time. I mean, I knew about apple pies and stuff like that. I just didn't know that there were more pies. Right. <laughs> like I thought pies like started and ended with apple pie. And I thought a variation of that was like the McDonald's apple pie that, you know, you could eat oh, yeah. individually. But mm. I didn't know there were like many more pies. I had no idea there was like pecan pie or like key lime pie i didn't even know about cheesecake yet i didn't even know about like cherry pie i didn't know about sweet potato pie like i honestly this was the first time i was introduced to a non-apple pie that is just as american as apple pie which is the key lime pie yeah 
So then my brother and I took this half-eaten pie. We studied it. We looked at it. We did not tell our grandma because we did not want her to take it away from us. We did not slice it into, you know, three or four slices or whatever. We just got our forks and we just started eating it. And we ate the whole thing. Where, where was your grandma? So I don't know. <laughs> okay. Somewhere. Okay. Probably sleeping. Who knows? And because she was also kind of like one of those tiger grandmas where if we ate junk food, she would, you know, cry foul. Like the only junk food we were able to have at that time was like popped. There's this Korean rice cracker called bongtigi. Okay. And it's just like this round. We have it here. It's like this round rice cracker. Uh, yeah, or like those big popped popcorn kernels. It's like the most disgusting, bland, carb junk food. Like it's like not even worth it. And I think that's why she bought it. It's because she's like, this is so disgusting. The kids will never eat it. <laughs> and, and we have some. And we have some. And it's been there for a while because no one wants it. Why do we? Okay, anyways. Yeah. So it's kind of like nutri- nutritional sustenance if you're like, I don't know, on a spaceship going to Mars or something and you have to eat something. Yeah, like. Wow, maybe, okay. maybe then sure um but yeah i just remember at the time i was not only taken aback by like how delicious the key lime pie was but it finally made me feel connected to american culture which is so weird that like food has that power you know but it was not only that but it was like we were invited to partake in the american culture versus if you go to the supermarket and you buy hot Cheetos or whatever, like you're buying it. Right. That was the first time an American person was like, hey, I want to share my culture with you. You know, who cares if it was because she wanted to lose weight or whatever. Yeah. But the fact that like she was giving something to us, immigrant family, like living with our grandma with no parents. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I understood the importance of it at that time because obviously I was a really young kid but I still like remember it in my memories like it's still like as if it happened yesterday and I don't know why I'm starting to cry because it's so stupid but like I think that um one of the things that I feel like is missing these days is like that kind of like invitation to share culture because we now live in a very polarized society and I think people um, like to live in their sheltered spaces Mm -hmm. and it's so political now where like even sharing something of yourself to someone else could be seen or skewed in a way that like you didn't mean it to be yeah Um, but yeah I don't know like I don't know why I'm crying (laughs) well I mean I Obviously, okay, well, I, I don't know the story, but I, I do know that you lived with your grandmother, and I know that she's no longer right. here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you're recalling a memory with your, your part of your childhood where you lived with your grandmother. So, mm-hmm. I, I, oh, yeah, I mean, tears. I think yeah, it was just... I, I get it. Yeah, like those 10 years that I lived with my grandmother... Um, when my parents were in South America, were so hard. It was from when I was um, four years old until I was like 15, like five to 15, something like that. And those were like formative years of a kid's life. And I think looking back at it, I think that key lime pie represented something like, 
you know, you feel like you are in a situation where it's pretty horrible. Like you don't get to be with your parents. You're almost like adopted by your grandmother to be with her. Um, and there was like the stranger outside of this microcosm of our family structure who who wanted us to see something outside of it. Like here is a piece of the whole world that you don't know yet. Mm-hmm. And you have so much time to like find out, you know? Um, um, did, well, I guess we, we could kind of ask, get into a discussion about mm-hmm. it. Uh, did, did, did the student like know you guys? Like, no. but did she like see you around? Oh the... yeah. Yeah. Like okay. we, I think we always like kind of left the house, like th- left the apartment around the same time in the morning, okay. you know, like school time or whatever. So she knew us enough to know that like we lived with our grandma. Uh, and then, yeah. you, so you would, it, and that, and that person, it wasn't like you open the door and you're like, oh, you're the woman that lives somewhere in this building. No, it was, um, actually I still remember it was like 10750 Missouri Avenue wow. like in front of the Mormon temple. And F- it was <laughs> like a five or six unit apartment and we were the three units on top. So she was the one in the middle. Okay. So you, you, yeah. you, it's not, you didn't know each other, but there, there's face recognition. There's oh, like, yeah, yeah. like, Oh, I've seen them around. They've seen me. Uh, and, and if anyone is a fan of Jinya Kim's work, you can now visit her, one of her childhood dwellings. <laughs> uh, she has listed the entire address of it. Uh, I know exactly where that is. Um, uh, cause I used, well, you know, yeah, we used to live around there. Yeah. I remember when we first started dating, I was like, oh my gosh, my childhood right. apartment That's was weird. only two blocks away from where you live now. That's so weird. Yeah. Um, well, it's, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I guess we can, do you know, I know, I know I asked you to pick a story that you never told yeah. before, especially told to me. Mm-hmm. I guess, do you know, I wonder why you didn't, haven't told this before. I guess I didn't really think it was that amazing or life-changing or important but it is definitely a memory I revisit all the time and I think it's I always thought the reason why I revisited this memory was because I'm a foodie but when I trace back the foodieism I think maybe it started with this incident yeah I mean it's kind of it's funny to me that uh, you know of course the story you're gonna tell is about food (laughs) (laughs) because uh So whoever knows Jen outside this podcast knows that she's a, a big time foodie, got a lot of accolades, has done a couple of food content pieces like for companies mm-hmm. and stuff. But but so definitely is in that world, uh, very active in that world. And so for you to have this unearth this story about food is appropriate. Yeah, um, but I, I guess what it kind of leads to is like kind of an interesting thing about uh, the impact of food on on culture, on immigration, yeah. on you know it. It's like it just reminds me. Like it's kind of cool that that this story was so innocuous, right? Like literally, this this girl's like. I have extra key lime pie. I'm just going to, yeah. I'm going to give it to my neighbor cause I can't eat it all. Right? right. Like that's like sort of maybe her motivation and you're right. like, she works out a lot, right. but then for you and, and your brother, it meant like way more. It was, like, it's so funny because I'm a foodie and I could say why I like key lime pie and trace it back to this moment. Um, 
my brother's favorite pie is key lime pie too yeah so and you knew that but you didn't know why that's right i did know that your brother liked key lime pie i didn't really know why i was like okay well some people like key lime pie uh it was all it was everything about it. it was it was the way the meringue sat on top of it we never saw like a marshmallow in that shape with it torched on top so everything about it was so interesting like it was the sweet fluffiness of the meringue cutting with the tartness of the key lime pie and also to me it was like that key lime pie was a gateway pie right that was like the first introduction to like wow like i can have this like wow i wonder what what there is beyond this and i also think back you know to all the things that came after that you know like my first pecan pie my first you know sweet potato pie my first Thanksgiving meal that looked like an American Thanksgiving meal and not just like rice and soup, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think also now when I think about all the immigration issues that's going on um, and how these new immigrants, when they first come to America, like the struggle of getting here, the struggle of living here and trying to adopt to adapt to this society and, you know, trying to just like survive. And in that mode of survival, you're not thinking past like, what do I want to do with my extra income? Or what do I want to, what school, what good school do I want to put my kids in? Like, where should we live next? It's like, they just want to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, that's their mode. And in that mode, when someone comes to them with like a casserole or a key lime pie or, uh, you know, like a happy meal, it's like, that gesture means nothing to the person who's giving it, but for the person who's receiving it, it like just changes them. They're right. no longer like this immigrant who's trying to survive. They are part of the society. Yeah, that's really, that's really um, kind of powerful, you know, if you think about it in that way of mm-hmm. how <clears throat> something like that can, can really spark. Yeah something in you and and like you've you're tracing sort of your foodie roots Mm -hmm. to that moment uh and and you're very very active in the food world now personally and professionally really it's just kind of like a part of who you are um yeah and i I think like as you touched on like how polarizing society is now or at least the attempt to portray it that way i think a lot of it is also media portrayal or trying to manipulate media to show a divided society which right. i in my day-to-day is not always necessarily true right or like the irony of like there was that one um uh government person that like basically was behind the mexico wall stuff mm-hmm. and then she ate at this fancy mexican restaurant yeah. like the, the same day like her the bill she was... has like a cognitive dissonance or something mm-hmm. like how do you do right that? right it's like yeah it's like uh, the like you know immigrants or, or people of color are in this country and you you can see it through food mm-hmm. and a lot of people enjoy the food food of all yeah. sorts of cultures i mean if you if you can even say like pizza is like italian and italians are you know from italy you know what i mean like yeah like the the u.s has a wealth of diverse food options right i like to think right um and sometimes people forget sort of the significance of that and how it relates to 
immigration mm-hmm. and, and inclusiveness and also kind of a celebration of uh, diversity. Right. And I think one of the reasons why I was so sad when Anthony Bourdain died and also when Jonathan Gold died for an Angelino, it's it, they were two people who represented like a bridge between cultures and in in a world where we live currently without people like that and I feel like this is a call to everyone to step up to fill those those areas now because I feel like they represented ways to understand each other through food you know to really deeply understand you don't have to agree but you can understand each other and um, when those people pass away, it, it hurts the city and yeah. it hurts everyone here. And I think I, I'm hopeful because I know there are a lot of people coming into that space who want to continue the legacy of Anthony Bourdain and Jonathan Gold. Um, but yeah, like I feel like we, we need to keep reaching towards that kind of understanding. It doesn't have to be unity. It doesn't have to be kumbaya, but it's more just like, you know... When someone's sharing something, or you want someone to share something with you, it shouldn't just be like, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, it. Transactional <clears throat> or political. Well, I think, like, they, yeah, those two, those two uh, guys um, kind of show a different type or a different way of being an activist, mm-hmm. or, yeah. or, you know, because, like, yeah, like both. Bourdain and Jonathan Gold, they they celebrated mm-hmm. the places they visited. They right. celebrated the food that they ate. It wasn't like them imposing their right. their cultural background onto the food. It was more like here's an um, there's more to Vietnam than just the uh, war right. or pho. Like yeah. and then Anthony Bourdain would celebrate that country right. and like make you think about it differently. Or like Jonathan Gold. <clears throat> would write about the places that weren't being wrote about right. before. Like, like the non-Michelin star, non-seven-course yeah. fine dining. It's like the mom-and-pop shop where you'd have to drive 20 minutes <clears throat> yeah. out of your comfort zone. Yeah, or it's just like, this is the best fish taco you're going to get in Los Angeles, period. Mm-hmm. And just be super celebratory about it, you know, very positive. But then also it kind of shed a light to... Um, a different community that wasn't like Jonathan Gold's, you know? Uh, and, and so like, I think it kind of all, it's in a way like kind of relates to your story. Cause mm-hmm. I think like, I don't think that student like gave you a key lamp pie trying to like impose Americanism on you or, right. or like trying to, to, to judge mm-hmm. how you were living. Right. She literally was just like unloading. <laughs> here's, here's something I want to share yeah. with you. Right. Uh, that, she thought maybe you guys would like because like who doesn't like pie when you're a kid right but why you know why would she give you something she didn't think you might enjoy right right and 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 like she didn't give us popped rice cracker (laughs) and it it, right and it didn't i don't get the impression that she's was a person that was like i'm just gonna give scraps right and junky gross stuff to my neighbors right no it was definitely half of a pie she sounded uh whoever this person is she sounds nice i kind of want to look her up and just thank her she might think it's weird but that would she be, might remember me you know that could be a 
I mean, you're a documentarian. That that could be a, that could be a documentary, right? Right there, you searching for this random person. Oh God, don't give me more ideas. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. So yeah, uh, yeah, Jin's Jin's got a large slate of projects. I have an idea book, and yeah, it's just never ending. Well, you have a lot of ideas, but you actually have a lot of projects that are actually in, produ- in production. production. Yeah, it's like it's, yeah, I can't and then also. On. Obviously, she's my wife, and we have our own lives together, and a lot of day-to-day minutia uh, uh, and and all that. Um, so, yeah, I I mean, how do you, I mean? My, I guess my last question before we sign off is, how, how do you feel? I feel. I don't know. I don't know how I feel. I think I feel. I mean, I feel like great in the sense of. This was a very cathartic experience. I didn't realize there was so many like deep layers of that healing. I just I thought of that because it was something that I remember helping me feel more American. Yeah. So I guess in a way it was like a turning point as well. Right. Instead of being guests, you know, on this land, I was also like here. You right, know? you're part of the fabric. Yeah. Neighbors just yeah. sharing food. Right. No no judgment. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think I was here long enough to understand that, like, oh, this is going to be a permanent situation. Mm-hmm. We're not just visiting the U.S. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, and I think I, this is, like, a last bit of it, but I think that was the year that I lost my status here. Uh, but yeah, for for any government officials listening out there, uh, Jin is a fully naturalized U.S. American citizen. I don't think they care about that anymore. I think they would still deport me if they wanted to. Well, I don't want that to happen. Okay, this is, yeah. Let's that on a positive <laughs> note. Uh, American citizen Jin Yu Kim, thank you for being on the show. Here to stay. Been a citizen for a long time. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> let's go let's go eat some let's go go eat some pie okay well i can't eat pie i'm on a keto diet now. oh my god okay well <laughs> that's a great way to end this episode thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you soon thank you all right bye bye ready for another episode well check us out at beststoryinevertold.com or also find us on itunes apple Podcasts, or a number of other podcast aggregators And if you're interested in sponsoring a future episode of this series, please contact us at beststoryinevertold at gmail.com.